So verse 1 of Genesis 49 says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So after blessing his grandchildren, there was a time where it, it came to the point where he needed to call his sons. So he calls his sons, and uh, he brings them together and uh, just tells them, you need to listen. You know, as he's, he's calling them, they're... Uh, final blessings and final things that he has to say. Um, and not all, like I said, are encouraging, but he's preparing them to hear. And, uh, you know, God speaks through Jacob here because there's no way Jacob would know these things on his own. These are things revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He begins with Reuben, his firstborn. Verse 3 says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might. And the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Reuben's like, yes, right? <laughs> Reuben, Reuben gets excited. And then you look at verse 4, and he says, Unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed. You defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, Reuben's name means see a son. You know, Leah's firstborn, Genesis 29, verses 31 and 32 say, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. He was born in, in, in a, from a sad state that his mother was in, right? So when she had him, she was so happy to have him, and she's like, see, I have a son. Now now my husband will love me. And there was still great division. Leah, poor Leah, delicate of eyes, right? Uh, but, uh, but just not her sister, you know, just not loved like Rachel was. And uh, she was always compared and knew that she didn't quite have uh, what, uh, what Rachel and um, Jacob had. And uh, so she... Uh, at the in, in Genesis 29, at the sight of her her son, she names him C, a son. That 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 meaning there, like, oh, here's my ticket. He's gonna love me more, you know. So when we when we consider that backstory and we see that, you know, he's first mentioned as the firstborn, uh, the word might, the beginning of my strength, excellency of dignity, and excellency of power. You know, those are those are great things to be said of an of an old of the oldest son. That's what the oldest son wants to hear. My oldest brother, if he's hearing this, he'll be sending me a text saying, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, it's a, it's a, uh, um, uh, you know, a funny, funny thing. He texted me once we were, and I mentioned uh, I actually know it was my brother-in-law when I mentioned fluff. And uh, he's like, fluff is awesome. You know, just just some of those things. But my oldest brother did send me uh, something funny as he was listening. But they're going to get puffed up, right? They're going to get excited to hear those things. You know, firstborn, might, you know, beginning of my strength, excellency of dignity, uh, dignity excellency of power. However, you know, there's the, the change in tone that must have been in Jacob's voice that, that would bring his son... Uh, to his knees, no doubt, and uh, the disappointment. And he, he calls him unstable as water, 
Um, the, the, the meaning behind that would be like boiling water, water that's moving. And um, when you consider what he says after that, uh, he might have even been speaking about him being lustful. Uh, and uh, maybe there's there's the you know that could be um, you know brought out as you as you look at it. But it, either way, he says he's unstable as as water. You know, the talk about the wind being taken out of your sail. You know, where where you're saying great and excellency and power and all those things. And whew, you know, he's just moving along, thinking, oh, maybe Dad's forgiven me. Maybe we're turning that page. And his dad says, you're unstable as water. You shall not excel. You know, you shall not excel. And he, see, he tells him why. Because you went to your father's bed and defiled it. Remember, he went and had sexual intercourse with his father's wife. Uh, that's uh, He sinned against his father. And when he did that, um, it, let's, let's look. Well, you'll see the verses coming up. Genesis 35, verse 22 says, And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. We don't hear of him addressing it, but we know that he knew about it. Okay. First Chronicles chapter five, verse one says, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel. So the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. That's a sad story to be the, the, the firstborn and to lose it all because of his sin, because of his lust. Right now, remember, I can't remember. So I'm not going to get into the conversation I was, I was having with some brothers. I think it was on our ride back from Philadelphia, but we were talking about you know, a certain situation that somebody was in. And, and they're like, no, man, you you've already committed that in your heart. You know, and, and some part of the discussion was about sin being in our heart. And the sin that is in our heart, uh, like remember Jesus said, you can you gouge your eye out, you can you know chop your hand off and cast it from you. It's better to to go in w without being able to see or you know uh, maimed than to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we know that there's a deeper meaning there because Jesus uh, you know tells us that if we are to look after a woman with lust in our heart, we've already committed the adultery. The the sin is a result of what's happening in our heart. You know what happens after that is the action that's taken but the sin is, is 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 within us you know it's not our that our hand is evil or or specifically that our the 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 body part the eye is evil it's what's behind those things that's making those go into motion that's the problem right this man is unstable and will not excel because of the sin in his life you know he he's mentioned and you know what you were the beginning of my strength you know, when you think of the strength of Israel and we see the strength of Israel growing, right, as they get to the land of Goshen and they're they're growing and growing. He was the first one. And unfortunately, all those good things that were said are negated and he loses his birthright, according to First Corinthians five, verse one. Uh, sorry, First uh, Chronicles five, verse one, that he lost that birthright because of sin, because he sinned against his father. You know, that's a, just such a, uh, a powerful thing to, uh, to consider. I mean, we know that the scriptures say that there is forgiveness for the wrongs that, we, that we've committed in our lives. Unfortunately, there might still be, even though we're, we're forgiven, there might still be consequences that follow, right? There might still be things that we need to face. 
in our lives. There might be physical things that we need to deal with. There might be uh, family issues that we need to deal with. Those things, although we're forgiven by God, what we've done still remains, right? And uh, we might have to face the consequence uh, of our sin, but knowing that we are forgiven of them. Uh, you know, when you consider, uh, you know, this man, you know, uh, sexual sin is what cost him. You know, and if you look at our culture today, look what sexual sin does to the family. You know, I was having a discussion with uh, with a vendor that was at the school today, and I spent the day with him. And uh, he was uh, going around and doing some um, inspections that he needed to do. So I had to be there, walk around with him, and and I uh, got great exercise today at work. And we had some good discussion. And uh, part of it came to um, the discussion of how sexual sin rips apart lives. And, and that were, there's never a satisfaction with it. Because after somebody gets over you know, the newness of that, they're probably going to want to move on to the next person, right? So they can say, well, you know, this person wasn't fulfilling what I need. I need this person. Well, this person doesn't fulfill what I need. I need this. And it's, it's a vicious cycle. I was uh, talking with uh, my youngest daughter, with Natalie, and we were talking about a situation um, here this week. And I was explaining to her, uh, because she was just talking about, uh, you know, how she's seen sorrow from in people's lives when families break up. And I said, there's a good reason why God said that he hates, he hates divorce, you know, that he, that he hates it because look what it does to families. Look what it does uh, to children afterward, you know, and if you consider divorce and how powerful it is, um, sorry, how prominent, not powerful, but how prominent it is in this nation uh, and within the church that, that, uh, last I have I I'd heard based on studies is that the, the church and the world mirror each other. There's no difference between the two, and that's that's horrifying and it's sad, you know that that those those covenants that were made are are often considered to be uh, and not in every case. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are there are extenuating circumstances. There's adultery. There's um, uh, abuse. There's those types of things. I get it, but. It's just horrifying when we hear all too often with, yeah, you know, we just, we just, you know, grew apart or those, those things. And you see a family, the children ripped apart or, or whatever it is, but those, those things that ends up happening, that end up, when you're talking about a, a marriage that's ripped apart because of lust and you think it doesn't just, it doesn't just destroy that marriage. It destroys the two involved, you know, the husband and the wife, and then the kids get ripped apart. And now you know, the, the, all the things that aren't the same, right, can be forgiven for the sin. But, but think of the consequences that come. Okay, well, are you going to go to Christmas? Uh, are you going to stay Christmas night here, uh, Christmas Eve here or there? You know, those things that end up happening, it, it, it's not the way it was intended. Unfortunately, it, it, it happens. You know, those, those things, um, uh, you know, end up happening all too often. And uh, we see the end result there of families ripped apart. Now, that, uh, just, but if we take it just in the, the sexual sin context of what Reuben did, how it hurt his father, and it disrespected his father. And, uh, you know, that was shortly after his father had just lost Rachel. You know, so it was extra disrespect, you know. And, and uh, you just, just think of uh, the selfishness. Just think of all those things. And, 
And it cost Reuben. It cost him his birthright. He also tell, told Reuben, you shall not excel. If you consider Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh camped on the other side of the Jordan. You know, they, uh, Reuben was taken away, uh, the first tribe taken away by the Assyrians. And they ended up receiving a small section of Judah, and they never ended up excelling. Sad. You know, think of how that affected not only him, but everybody that came after him. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi. Now, after hearing Dad say some good things and some bad things, everybody's probably getting a little nervous, right? So Simeon and Levi were well aware of their conduct. Uh, our brothers, instruments of cruelty, are in their dwelling place. Let my soul, let not my soul enter their council, nor my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You know, he goes and he says, Simeon and Levi, basically these guys are cut from the same cloth. You know, they're brethren. What he says is they're brothers and they're instruments of cruelty, you know, or, or violence. Your Bible may say violence. You know, you consider Hamor and Shechem were killed uh, after the incident where Dinah was raped. And uh, they, what do they do? They concoct that plan, right? Because they say, well, you know, hey, why don't we intermingle? Why don't we intermarry? We can do business together. Why don't we just make this a good thing? And these guys say, hey, yeah, that's a great idea, you know, and they get everybody and check them. They're a great idea, but you guys need to go and circumcise not only yourselves, but all the males, right? And what do they do after that? When all the, when they're too sore to move, then they go in and they strike all the males and they kill them. You know, these guys are called instruments of cruelty. Uh, you know, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Uh, let not my soul enter their council, nor let my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. You know, you consider uh, Reuben's sin that was mentioned in his life was lust. And here's another warning regarding anger. And uh, if you consider James chapter 1, it says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, how, are we supposed to be wrathful? Are we supposed to be angry people? You know, when you consider, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, uh, but the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, right? When you consider all those things, right before that, it talks about wrath. And it's talking about the fruits of the Spirit and how does sinful man conduct himself. And then there's the contrast. This is how man conducts himself. This is how a man under the power of the Holy Spirit yielding the fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, will act. So uh, when it came to uh, later on, after um, Israel has, has conquered the land and land is being divided, when it came to Simeon, Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 and 9. So we'll skip the rest. But verse 1 says, The second lot came out for Simeon. For the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Right? That You consider that. Judah. 
Reuben ended up uh, going in to Judah. So does Simeon. And it says the inheritance, uh, verse 9 says the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. You know, Simeon and Levi didn't have anything good said about them uh, by their father. I will divide them in Jacob, he says uh, in, in verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. You know, they, they, that's what they hear. It, it says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in, in Israel. So uh, Simeon uh, doesn't have their own spot either. They, they get scattered around. Now consider Levi. Now Levi is an interesting one. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 26 we can see the start of something different that changed how Levi would be remembered. Exodus chapter 32, verse 26 says, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp. This is right after the golden calf situation, and Moses is dealing with it. And Moses uh, stood in the, at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. The sons of Levi went over and said, you know what, this was sin. You know, as they're, they're playing the harlot with this golden calf and they're, they're, they're uh, conducting themselves in idolatry, and Moses is addressing that, and he's saying there's a sinful side and there's God's side. Who's on God's side? And the tribe of Levi came over and said, we are on God's side. That things change for them. Deuteronomy 18, verse one and verses one and two say, the priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance within Israel. They shall eat of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Talk about an inheritance. They made a stand, right, in the face of sin when they were called. And they said, do you guys want to go over there or do you want to follow the Lord? They said, we're going with the Lord. And God did something amazing in them. And he says, I will be their inheritance. Guys, that's the greatest inheritance we can. Think of, think of this. I, I heard a, a great story actually talking with that same individual today. And he was talking about this man that he knew that was a millionaire. And uh, he died a millionaire, and everything was left to his brother. And he had had a good relationship with this millionaire, and and, um, and it wasn't because of his money, but they they just they respected each other, they loved each other as as friends. And um, when his brother inherited everything, uh, you know there there was a, there was a lot of um, uh, property, there was a lot of money there. And when his brother inherited it, he contacted this guy, and he's like he's like. If you were good to my brother, you were good to me. And and to know that this this man was uh, was uh, so blessed by the, the this man's conduct that he said, you know what, I want to I want to bless you. And I forgot where I'm going with this, uh, <laughs> but my mind was somewhere there today, right? And uh, didn't we just do that the other day, Greg? Yeah. So uh, it'll come back to me, I promise. But but where uh, inheritance? That's where we're going. Inheritance. That inheritance, that man was so blessed. Uh, but you know what he said? He said, 
I, I inherited millions from my brother, but I'd trade it in a second because I want my brother. You know, that that inheritance, it's so much greater for us to look forward to the inheritance we have in heaven, right? You guys ever seen families ripped apart because of inheritances, <laughs> right? You just, the, it brings out the worst in people, right? <laughs> right, Sarah says, yes, it does. It does. Possessions, money. I love that the Lord says, I am their inheritance. And they served as priests for Israel in front of the Lord and led people in worship to God. They made that statement. They made that decision back in Exodus 32. Are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to sin? And it didn't work out for those that chose the other side. And a lot of people died that day. These guys made a stance. Joshua 21, verses 42, uh, 41 and 42, it says, All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities and its common land surrounding, thus uh, were all these cities. So the children of Israel ended up inheriting uh, 48 cities that were within the other tribes, uh, cities of refuge, where people could go for accidental death, manslaughter, uh, for, you know, if you're at work and, uh, you know, you're up on something high, you drop the hammer, right? You know, and somebody doesn't survive that. The Avenger of Blood couldn't go into the city of refuge. And uh, those, uh, that city of refuge would be uh, where the uh, Levites lived. So they had the protection of God for them there. They, they had a place to go. So they didn't get their own specific territory, but they had cities that were given to them. And their inheritance was the Lord. Their food came from the offerings. That's how they were, they were provided for. Verse 8. Now these guys heard some pretty rough uh, things. Now consider what Judah hears here. Uh, what an amazing thing to contemplate. Verse 8 says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down and he, uh, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding uh, his his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt uh, to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his uh, teeth whiter than milk. In First Chronicles chapter five verse two, five verse one. We already uh, covered that. First Chronicles five verse two says. Uh, yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, uh, although the birthright was Joseph's. So remember uh, Judah's failure with Tamar, his daughter-in-law, right? He was supposed to give, uh, so uh, she had been married to one son. Uh, that son did evil in the sight of the Lord and was, was killed by the Lord. And then the next one uh, was married to Tamar, did evil in the sight of the Lord and was killed. And then there was one that was too young, and he says, go back to your your father and live the life of a widow. And then I will, when my son's old enough, I'll come get you and you can uh, marry my youngest son. And he never did. And what does Tamar do? 
Tamar gets to the point of desperation and she goes and she acts like a prostitute, right? And she gets uh, his staff and his signet cord and, and uh, makes a deal with him. And she's, you know, covered up and everything. And, uh, and she makes a deal saying, you know, uh, he goes, you know, I, I want to come into you. How, you know, what do I need to do? And uh, they strike a deal. And, and uh, the deal is uh, for uh, a young goat, right? And uh, when uh, he, he does, he sleeps with his daughter-in-law unknowingly. And then when they try to take uh, what was agreed upon uh, to where she was sitting, the harlot, they, uh, the servant comes and he's like, uh, where's the harlot that was here? Uh, there, are, there are no harlots that work right here, right? And then they were found out. It was found out that Tamar was pregnant. And what is, what is uh, Judah saying? Judah's like, bring her out. We're going to burn her, right? <laughs> and then, you know, what does she do to defend herself and go, I'm pregnant by the one who the, you know, these things belong to? And no doubt, he's just, you have to believe his jaw just dropped and his head sulked. And he's like, she's more righteous than I am. You know, remember that story. That's That was Judah. You know, and what we just read, all those things that we just read, that the Messiah is coming through him. God's grace is all through the Bible. You know, it's the if, if the Bible just, if we just looked here and everybody's perfect and they're getting blessed, we'd have absolutely no hope. Right. Right. Nobody's perfect. Not not one. But Christ. Right. You know, he was one uh, Judah. We see him being the one that convinced Jacob to that uh, to allow uh, Benjamin to go with them because Jacob's like, he's not going. And finally, he goes up and says, hey, dad, if they won't let him go, I'll make myself. You can you know, I'll be the slave. And what happens? Right. The, uh, Jacob finally lets Benjamin go. They get to Egypt. And Joseph does that thing with them, right? And and he gets his his son and uh, sorry his brother and he's embraced. He, he sorry this was before they embraced and he blesses his brother and he puts his silver cup in in, in Benjamin's nap in his sack, right? So that when everybody's leaving and they're all scared and they're they're going away and everything, uh, Jake uh, Joseph had sent that servant to to stop them and they're like, hey, let the person die who has it. None of us have stolen and Benjamin has it. And they're going to take Benjamin back, right? And and they think Benjamin's going to be there. And who's the one that stood up and said, hey, you know what? Let Benjamin, if Benjamin doesn't go back, it's going to kill our dad. Let me stand in his way. So Judah had failure in his life. We, we know that. But he also, he also uh, was one that was willing to die for his brother. You know, he offered himself. We see here that it mentions that Shiloh, look at verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from him, from Judah, nor a lawgiver from, <clears throat> from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Speaking of the Messiah, that the Messiah would come through his lineage. You know, you think of uh, the first king of Israel, Saul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. Right. And then and there's a whole line of kings and then there's David. Right. Well, I mean, David becomes king. And then you see in Israel, they have all kinds of kings going up and down and everything. But that 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 messianic line came through David. Right. Because he was of the tribe of Judah. And that line would go all the way to Christ. When it's speaking of Shiloh, you know, the savior was was coming through them. You know, the uh, 
when you consider uh, what's being said here and all these great things that, that say, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, King James Version says, and to him the gathering of the people be, the gathering of the people. And uh, I was I listened to Joe Foch uh, teach on this, and I was blessed by it because he said gathering of the people. And uh, Maine happens to be, I think, uh, based on population stati- uh, uh, statistics that I've seen, we are the whitest state in the nation. Maine is the white. We are not all that uh, diverse here in Maine. And for him to be able to say, Joe Foch is saying, guys, look around us. We have all, all kinds of different people. Why are we brought together? We're brought together, gathered together in Christ. And, you know, where it says uh, here in our uh, New King James, uh, it says to, to him shall be the obedience of the people. Uh, King, I like the King James Version and what he had to say there with the gathering of the, of the people uh, in Christ. You know, the, and, and there, there are some things on here that uh, based on my research and what I learned, there's a lot of, uh, you know, People that are questioning what all the rest of these the things uh, uh, mean here, but there in in our Bibles you don't see a capitalization of binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey uh, to the colt to the choice vine. Uh, you know he washes garments with wine and his clothes. Um, so there, I, I I looked at going back and forth of those things. The best thing that I I I I really wanted to focus on with Judah is look what happened in his life. An imperfect man, a man that that was willing to lay his life down for his brother and that the Messiah came through Judah and that all these things, these good things are said of Judah. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall uh, adjoin uh, Sidon. And it's in, in the north. Uh, is where Zebulun settled, and uh, they were on uh, the sea trade route. So they would benefit uh, from sea trade uh, for the children of Zebulun. 14, Issachar uh, is a strong donkey, you know, lying down between two burdens. You know, that's uh, kind of tough, right? None of us, I don't think, want to be mentioned, but the one that would pull, right? Those don- donkeys were used for, for bearing heavy loads, right? A strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear the burden and became a band of slaves. You know, they their lot gave them the Jezreel Valley, and uh, that was uh, one to be desired. And it fell into the hands of different empires, Assyrians uh, and others. And it's another trade route, so it was popular. Uh, so we see that Issachar uh, in the day in the days of uh, David, they were known as men that understood the times and they were very faithful to David uh, as he went through the struggles that he went through. So concerning Issachar, uh, we see that, that they um, are very strong, that they went through some hardship uh, at the hands of the Assyrians and others, but they ended up getting a, a choice valley and uh, being on another trade route. Um, which would uh, give benefit, but it would also be a popular route for uh, armies when they're coming through. Verse 16, Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way and a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backwards. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Uh, Samson was of the tribe of Dan. First Kings 
chapter 12, Jeroboam set up two golden calves, uh, calves and one was uh, in Dan. So Dan ended up being poisonous uh, to the nation. Unsure of, you know, what Jacob meant regarding uh, the the serpent and the viper, but uh, those types of things, you know, when you're hearing uh, that something would uh, would be on the way, a viper by the path, you know, that would trip people up, that they would fall off, that they were known as uh, as a uh, as people that uh, would be compared to uh, you know a serpent, a viper. Uh, that would cause people to fall, and, and where it says fall backwards. Interestingly, in Revelation chapter 7, Dan is not mentioned uh, when you consider the 12,000 of each tribe that were chosen. However, in, in Ezekiel, Dan is given their portion in the kingdom of age. So there's, there's quite a study if you really want to dive into uh, each of these. Now look at the end of it. Look at verse 18. It says, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. You consider all the things that he just says, and at the end of what he has to say about um, Dan, he says, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Uh, this is the first mention of the word salvation uh, of the Lord in the Bible. And the word that's used there is Yeshua, the salvation word that's used there, which is amazing, Yeshua, right? You think of Jesus' name, Yeshua? His Hebrew name, Yeshua, that salvation, that word that's being used there. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. I have waited for uh, that salvation and that word being Yeshua uh, is, is, you know, people will say, those that will, will question the, the Trinity or, or say that the Old Testament, I actually heard and read of pastors saying that we don't need the Old Testament. I know I've said this fairly recently. We don't need the Old Testament. That is incredibly dumb, <laughs> right? And I see it from all your faces going, what? you know, that's stupid. Hey, we're going to take out all the meaning and everything that you can draw out and everything that points to Jesus, and we're just going to take from when Jesus was born and on, that the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. That man or those, those people that are standing saying those things need to find another profession. <laughs> because you're negating. What, what did Jesus reference? How many times did Jesus point back to the Old Testament? Okay, so if Jesus quotes it, it no longer matters, though. Okay, now they're putting themselves. I love that Chuck Smith, um, and I've, I've shared this before, but it, it's worth being repeated. Chuck Smith on a radio program, and uh, there's a discussion there, a debate that's happening, and, and uh uh, there's a man on the other side of the debate. It's a, a live radio show, and and uh, the guy is questioning Jesus Christ, and he uh, and 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 Chuck goes back and says, "Are you are you you know for you to say that you're saying that you're smarter than Jesus Christ?" And the guy says, "Well, yeah." Click. <laughs> Chuck Smith just hangs up the phone. So they're oh, he got disconnected. They call him back. Oh, we must have lost you. He's like, no, I hung up. Like, why'd you hang up? Because I don't know how to talk to somebody smarter than Jesus. That's <laughs> the best response, right? Man, that's awesome. Great. Okay, I've gotten off on a rabbit trail. 19. Gad, a troop shall trample, uh, tramp on him, but he shall triumph at last. So these guys are getting, like, they're leaning in. Okay, Judah got some good news. That's awesome. You know, Shiloh, that Shiloh's going to come through him. Uh, and uh, so Gad's, you know, leaning in, and the first thing he hears is that he's going to be trampled on. 
<laughs> That's not not exactly encouraging. He says, but he shall triumph. You know, Ra uh, Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh stayed on the other side. They, they ended up settling there. They had to move forward and fight, but at the end of it, they had to go back on the other side of the Jordan, right? So apparently they ended up seeing a lot of battle, and uh, but in the end it says they shall triumph at last. Look at, uh, look at Asher, verse 20. He says, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Um, you know, Moses' final blessing in Deuteronomy 32, 33:24. he says, And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him dip his foot in oil. So he received a blessing. Uh, you know, where it says that he uh, bread from him shall be rich uh, and he shall uh, yield royal dainties. Uh, you know, that those are good things said. You know, so so Asher's probably like, well, it's not quite as good as Judah, but you know, I'll take it. We got some good bread coming from us, apparently. You know, gonna start bread, you know, sandwich shops or something. But um, you know, so nothing too too bad. Verse twenty one. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Uh, you know, so another uh, thing speaking uh, in favor of him. Deuteronomy again, uh, thirty three verse twenty three, and uh, of Naphtali Moses. He, where it says, he said, of O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of blessing of the Lord, possess the West and the South. So Naphtali got some good news also. So these guys, uh, as they're being spoken to by their father, they're hearing all these things. Some good, some bad, but these were things that the that uh, that Jacob had heard from the Lord and was speaking uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough uh, by a well. His branches uh, run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, uh, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, capital H, and the stone of Israel, capital S, um, by the God of your father who uh, will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie, lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound uh, of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. You know, so this, you know, the, the, the tribe, um, they end up taking in Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Uh, as, uh, as Jacob had told him. And I you know what calls him a fruitful bough. He's, he's well nourished. One that would be considered that when you look at his life, would be one that would embody what is mentioned in Psalm 1, right? We, we know, blesses a man who not walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the, of the scornful, but is, to li uh, but, is, uh, the law, uh, but his delight is in the Lord, uh, and in his law he meditates day and night, right? The word of the Lord, that, that when you see those things, if, if one that lives that, that type of life, that doesn't walk... Um, uh, in the council ungodly, one that doesn't stand in that path of sinners, 
sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, think of somebody who could sit and scorn, right? <laughs> yeah, Joseph got scorned by his brothers, didn't he? You know, and you consider what Joseph went through. That he could be a scornful man, but God's grace and his, the mercy that, that, that God ministered to Joseph's soul and he understood that God was at work in his life. You know, he could have been so scornful, but he was gracious. When he had his brothers there, he could have no doubt said, I'm Joseph, you guys messed up, you're dead, I'm going to kill you. And, I, you know, he could have just done that. But it was God's grace was the difference. His heart was set on God no matter what. Psalm 1 talks about that, that same person, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, right? That Psalm 1, really meditate on that. You want to memorize a psalm, go into Psalm In Scripture, go and just start reading Psalm 1. That's a great one. And there's so much meat in there, right? You can just, you, there are so many sermons right in within that. But that fruit, when it talks about he's a fruitful bough, as one that's sitting by the by the rivers of, of water that are coming and uh, just constantly feeding it. That's that's Joseph's life. That he was he would be somebody that could embody what is said in, in Psalm one. It says the archers, uh, you know, really nothing too exactly specific. But if you consider arrows, tongues, and attitude that were pointed against him. You know, when you consider the attitudes of his brothers and his tongues, they hated him. You know, in, in, in the scripture, those arrows that can come from our mouths and, and that can come from mouths that attack, right? You know, he dealt with that. He was hated by his brothers. And there were words spoken against him by Potiphar's wife, right? You know, those arrows that came his way from people's mouths. A man under constant fire, you know, and at one, uh, one point in his life, in you consider what he was going through, and he went through so much. It says, hands made strong by the mighty God of Jacob. Uh, Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19 say, uh, He sent a man before them, Joseph. This is speaking of God sending a man before uh, Israel. Uh, before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the Lord, the word of the Lord tested him. When you consider all that he went through, right, that these guys would hurt him. They hurt his feet with fetters. They laid, uh, they, uh, he was laid in irons. That's uncomfortable, right? Think of fetters, something to, to bind you. You know, that's what he was dealing with. And it says here, verse 19, until the time his word came to pass. That, remember the word that God gave him and he, he, he spoke of that he told them, hey, you know, God's going to use me in a special way. and You guys are going to bow down. And they hated him for it and wanted to kill him even more. Right? The word of the Lord tested him. Isn't that crazy? That through all that, God tested him. You know, God was strengthening him for uh, in his trials and circumstances and uh, blessings from heaven flowed. Jacob uh, continuing to uh, bless his son, you know, children being born and nurtured, where it's talking about, um, uh, where it says, uh, blessings of the breast and of the womb, that children uh, would continue to come. And consider Ephraim and Manasseh. They become great tribes in Israel. Those are his sons. And uh, many great leaders uh, came from his lineage. 
The end of the addressing of the sons is with Benjamin. He says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night uh, he shall divide the spoil. You know, shall uh, shall raven as a wolf. I mean, th these guys were known as a tough tribe. King Saul came from the tribe of, of Benjamin, uh, Saul of Tarsus. So the two Sauls that you probably think of when you hear the name Saul, right? King Saul and Saul of Tarsus uh, were both of the tribe of Benjamin. And they end up, uh, in, uh, when you consider um, where uh, Benjamin ended up as another small part of, of Judah themselves. So there's the, the words that he had for his sons. And verse 28 says, all these uh, are the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, this is what their father spoke uh, to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each, each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them uh, and said to them, I am, uh, uh, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave uh, that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, uh, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought in the uh, with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there where <clears throat> there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So he had all those things to say. And then he gives them very specific instructions. They were given his will, really, is what they were what is being shared here. Um, another another blessing I have to 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 pass along that I, I uh, was able to glean from listening to Joe was regarding wills. You know, it's, it's very wise of us to have a will. Uh, it can uh, answer a lot of questions. You ever been around somebody that are like, yeah, they died without a will and now it's total chaos within the family. And he's talking about that. He's saying that there, there would need to be a will provided. So what, what ends up happening? And, uh, that, that things could be in order. So just uh, we are called to be good stewards of all that has been uh, put at, at our uh, into our charge. So just something to pass along for us to be uh, make things a little easier uh, so that somebody doesn't go, I don't know. I don't know if we're supposed to pull the plug or, you know, we, you know all those things. Right. You know, when you start considering the living wills and all those things, it was a it was a reminder, you know, but but, you know, what this man could do. Is where it says in Jacob, when he had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. That was it. He knew the end of his life. He went, he breathed his last, and he died. Uh, a, you know, he died uh, with everybody around him, and he was able to address them. There's a, there's a blessing there. Um, not that it's easy for us to say goodbye to somebody. Uh, when they're when they're dying, but there is uh, often when I've had conversations that the um, when I can hear that hey, they didn't have a lot of time, but they were able to make things right. They were able to share some things, uh, and that's just the graciousness of the Lord. Sometimes we don't get that, so there's an encouragement there for us that um, you know if we're dealing with things and maybe we've had to say goodbye to somebody, 
being, I, I, I just lost a family member and I was talking uh, to one of their children uh, recently and I just said, I'm not trying to be weird about this or anything, but I'm so blessed that you had the time to at least say goodbye uh, before a, a surgery that went bad and, and uh, the, the circumstances ended up overtaking them. But it was nice to know that they had the opportunity to have those last moments together and, and to talk and say, I love you. And those things, Hey, if this doesn't work out, just know I want this done. And those things, you know, sometimes we, you know, we don't have those opportunities. We're going to blast through Genesis chapter 50. We have about 15 minutes. So we're going to go through that. I'm going to wrap up the book of Genesis tonight. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Remember, back in Genesis 46, verse 4, the Lord spoke to Jacob. He was afraid. He wanted to go see his son, but he's also afraid of how this was all going to work out. And the Lord ministered to him and says, I will go down to, with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. God knows the beginning to end. He knows what's going to happen in our lives. We often question him and get scared and, and we'll be afraid of, of things that might come uh, to happen, right? God knows, right? And, and how sinful are we that we, we don't trust him enough? And he gets that message from the Lord and he knows, okay, God is with me. And I'm going to see Joseph, and Joseph's going to be the one closing my eyes. God knew it. Joseph, uh, Jacob believed God and went, and everything happened the way he said it would. That, Jason, that, that Joseph was right there, and he fell on his father's face. No doubt, after his father died, put his, I know for a fact, 100%, that he did it because God said he was going to do it. Put his hand and closed his eyes. <clears throat> That's... Uh, yeah, well, I can keep going, um, but trust the Lord. You know, we, we can't question his word. Verse 2, and Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed uh, Israel. Now, with him being the father of somebody who uh, was so prominent, uh, you know, here comes uh, I, I got to say the red carpet, but, you know, nothing is spared when, when he is the ruler over all of Egypt, second to only Pharaoh. Um, this is an important thing that happens. So uh, that when we see everything that follows here, uh, it's no surprise. Verse 3 says, 40 days were required for him. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. Now when the days of his mourning had passed, uh, were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, there, now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And word gets back to him and says, And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and uh, with him went up uh, went up all the servants of Pharaoh the elders of his house and the elders of the land of Egypt as well as the house of Joseph his brothers and and his father's house 
only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, uh, they left in the land of Goshen. This is a massive funeral procession, if you're not counting that. You're talking about all the bigwigs in Egypt, all of Joseph's family, his brothers and everything. They left back a few. The kids and, and all the, the animals there uh, got left there. Verse 9, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a great gathering. Then they, uh, then they came to the threshing, hole, uh, threshing floor of Atad, uh, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name is called Abel Mezrim, Mezrim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah uh, before Mamre, which uh, Abraham brought, uh, bought uh, with the field uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. So it's a great, uh, you know, they honored him. He said, don't leave me here. You know, remember what God promised him, uh, Genesis 46, 4. I, you, you, it says, uh, I, I will surely bring you up again. It's talking about his bones. I'm going to bring you up again. You're not going to stay there. Your bones are going to be in the promised land. And they were. They got brought back to the promised land. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Oh, man. Here they go again, right? It's been years. It's been a long time. And now they're like, Dad's dead. Here he comes. <laughs> right? Ah, right? Oh, we're going to get him. They're all, these guys are all older now, right? They're all older now, and they're still waiting. They're like, oh, he was just waiting. You know, all the fellowship we had with our brother, all that time that got redeemed. You know, Dad, now that he's mad, uh, now that he's sad that Dad's gone, you know, he might kill us in his wrath. And, uh, and, and here they go. So they sent messengers, verse 16, uh, to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. I wonder whether he really said that, right? Because <laughs> here they're saying, like, Hey, Dad said, right? We, I mean, these, these guys weren't necessarily the uh, epitome of, of uh, honesty, right? I mean, how long did they hide the fact that Joseph was alive? And they only kind of revealed it after they went through the whole fiasco with him and then found out he's alive and that he wants to see his dad, right? So they, and, and no doubt some weird conversations, hard conversations they had afterward, right? So uh, they say this, they say, well, dad says, and uh, now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. Now, they're putting themselves in the best light they can. Hey, Dad said, and we're servants of God, right? <laughs> so uh, now, have you ever, you ever know, you ever been in a conversation and you know somebody's trying to manipulate the conversation <laughs> in their favor so that you know things work out for them? This just oozes of that to me, you know. As as we're reading it, we'll continue. Look at Joseph's response, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It broke his heart to hear that. 
It broke his heart. He's like, guys, you don't understand. I love you. Look at his response. He had a broken heart. He's just going, guys, guys, I said that it was over with. And look what he says in verse, verse 18. Then his brothers also went in and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. They're like, we know you're crying, but we're your servants, right? And here's Joseph with this heart that's rent. Verse 19 says, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am, am I in the place of God? He's like, guys, don't think of the character of Joseph. Didn't we just talk about how you can look at Joseph's life and you could put Psalm 1 and you could re reflect on everything that's in there and go, that, that man emulates what's written in Psalm 1. He was a man that loved God and loved the word of God and was led by the word of God and, and uh, followed it and, and taught people. And showed them and like, hey, this is this is how good God is, right? And and here they are, and he has to tell them here. He says, I, "Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? I'm not God." That's a big statement, considering the power he had, second most powerful man in the world, <laughs> right? Second only to Pharaoh. That's a lot of power. And what does he do? Say, "I'm in subjection to the leadership of God." To the authority of God. Am I God? No. He's telling them. Have you guys ever kind of looked around the world and thought, man, you look at some of the, the rich and powerful, and man, does the, the, the face, the looks, the proud, the proud look. I love that the scripture says that God hates a proud look, right? Because behind that pride is, look at me. I'm God. You know, I'm who you want to be like. You know, he says right here, do not be, you know, he's in that position. Yes, he does have the power to do it. But he says, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about to this day to save many people alive. You meant evil, but what you did was actually God knew that was going to happen. Remember, we've talked about this repeatedly. That, that God uses sinful men and women to accomplish his will. They're, you know, they may not and often are not aware of what's happening, but God is using them to accomplish his will. Is that a ticket to do whatever we want? Like, well, it doesn't matter. God's sovereign will doesn't matter. I can just live what I want. You know, I, I don't have any choice. We've talked about that before, too. There are extremes on both sides of that. We are not. God is not limited by sinful man. And we do not control God. You know, you can look at both of those things. But when you look at that, and what he says is, you meant this for evil. I know you did. You wanted to kill me. And when you guys kind of got talked out of killing me, you sold me. Yes, it was terrible. It was awful. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good to save many people, including you and your little ones, your wives, your children, all your livestock. God did this. Guys, stop it. <laughs> right? He's saying, settle down. I'm not going to come after you. God, God meant something through all that. There was, yes, it was horrible. Yes, it was wrong. No, you shouldn't have done it. But God was working and God took what was awful and he made it. You know, when you consider, you know, just, just think God bringing beauty from ashes, right? When you, when you can look at, at what God can do with a, with a life, you know, things that may happen, the, the evil that has happened to us in our lives. 
just understanding that God has pulled us from that and those things don't define us and we walk with him and he's going to do an amazing work in our lives, but also through us. But where it says there that many would be saved, look at what he can do through us by us testifying what God has done. May say We may not be used to store up grain in Egypt, right? And to save cows and cattle and all those things and bringing everybody there. And, and uh, you know, the, there's a great example there. But God can use us the same way he used as those type of circumstances. You know, if you think of the circumstances, those are pretty bad. You get sold by your brothers who wanted to kill you. And then you get framed and then you get thrown into prison. And you're losing like lots of years of your life. I mean, you're talking about over 10 years of your life lost to sinful people treating you wrong. But God is working through it. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good to save many. You know, he may, I don't know, it might be uh, something big or little in our lives, but trusting that he is at work and that our lives are in his hand. I love that um, verse. Um, Matt Harvey used to sing a song, and uh, part of, this, part of the, the words were, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and I know re I rest securely in the palm of his hand. You know, I, I love that song. I got to text him tonight and say, hey, what's that song? I got to learn it, right? 21. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. Guys, <laughs> everything's okay. Now, I'm not, not only am I not going to kill you, I'm going to provide for you and all your family, even down to those little faces that I've grown to know and love. That's my family, right? And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that like our, like our, our gracious father? Comfort us. You know, when, when you can look through all the things that happened in Joseph's life and know that he can be looked at as a type of Christ. That you can see that that there's an example there, like oh, God works works through Jesus the same uh, the same way there, and He's saying oh, and He comforted them, spoke kindly to them. Verse twenty two. So Joseph dwelled in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived one hundred and ten years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, uh, the the children of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. He had this family, right? And they're all growing and he's got grandkids. More blessed than what he ever thought, right? Those where he can look back in his life and go, I was brought in a cage to Egypt and I was sold. And then I got framed and I lived in a prison and everything. And I didn't know. What, he knew God had a plan for his life. But to know, to look back and go, look what God has given me. Look what he's done. I grew up on it. You know, the, those uh, family members that we can... Those little ones. I can't wait. My um, uh, sister-in-law, they'll actually be here tomorrow night. When they're coming up a little bit early. And we found out they're coming up. And I can't wait to see the kids. I love, I love, uh, you know, Jen's sister, her husband. Her husband's a great dude. Him and I get along great. And he and I do. But, uh, man, I can't wait to do his cheeks and, you know, give those little girls a hug and stuff. Because one of them, I haven't, we haven't seen them in four years. You know, so I can't wait to see the little ones. Put them on my knee. Tell me what's going on. What's your favorite color? You like unicorns? I don't know. You know, just those those blessings, right? Oh, God truly blessed him, restored his relationship, brought him uh, his father to him. Uh, verse 24, and Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of, the, out of uh, this land into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from uh, the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. 
uh, sounded just like Jacob, right? So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He didn't stay there. When they left Egypt, they grabbed his bones and dragged him out of there. You know, they, they, they made him, and all those generations that came, 400 years later when they get delivered and God gives them the exodus from Egypt, they've got a bag of bones with them. And uh, they're, they're Joseph's bones, and he didn't stay there because the Pharaoh that comes after this didn't recognize him. Oh, yeah, he did great things. I don't care. Moved out of the way. But God kept a promise to Joseph. And Joseph uh, passed on a deal with these guys like, you can't leave me here. And he didn't. So what a blessing, guys. We made it all the way through uh, Genesis. That's, a, that's quite a time frame that we just covered here. What a blessing to read through. Let's pray. God, we are so blessed, Lord, to uh, have... Uh, made it through uh, the book of Genesis, and we look forward to moving into Exodus and, uh, and, and you know, seeing what you have for us there. We thank you, Lord, that we can look at the life of Joseph and know that although things may look hopeless and although things may go wrong in our lives, that we can trust that you work for good all, those thi all things that happen in our lives for those that love Christ. All things work for good. Oh, Lord, that we might find comfort in scriptures like Romans 8.28. Trusting you with our, our lives. What in a great example of, of a godly man. And to know how you blessed him. How you restored. Help us to trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.